Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Imago. If you are visiting today, uh, today's a little different in that this is kind of a family talk that uh, we have to have. And so, this will be weird for you. Welcome. <laughs> uh, many of you have probably by now received a letter uh, that kind of talked about where we ended budget last year for 2015 and some of the cuts that we had to make uh, going into 2016. I'll try to give some explanation of that and then talk about what that means. Um, For the last few years, we have been pretty aggressive in our mission. This isn't new for us. We've done this since we started the church. And the idea was we had some reserves that we could lean into, and in a few years, those would pick up and we'd make up for that. And as we trended in 2015, you'll remember, we said giving's really good. We cut the budget back, and we're hoping to recover some of that. And giving was good all the way through to the month of December. And for 15 years, December has always been a huge kick, kind of that year-end giving. And for whatever reason this year, that didn't happen. The result of that is the elders had to get together and figure out what we do, and and part of that means we had to cut about $300,000 out of our budget. As we wrestled with this, Luke and I wrestled, the elders and I wrestled, and there really is no good option. I know for many people the idea is that uh, you just sort of roll the dice and pick this person or that person to cut, but the truth is... There's, there's probably 15 to 16 things that come into play in terms of how will ministries continue, who will backfill, what does that look like in the overall budget. And as we agonized over this, uh, Luke offered his resignation and I accepted. As a result, we also have had to um, restructure our communications department and Sebastian Rogers will no longer be our communications director, who sits in the front row and smiles at me as I say that. Um, he said, I will be at this church till I die, so you can't get rid of me. So appreciate that. And then, and then we still have discretionary cuts to make across the board uh, for both campuses. As, as I... Uh, As we've walked through this over the last several weeks, Luke and I have, um, obviously it's it's been excruciating. He is one of my best friends. Uh, He's been at the church for 14 years and been on staff for about eight of those and has loved and served this community and many of you. He wrote uh, this and asked if I would read it to you. He says, for 27 years, I have held to the conviction that vocational ministry is a privilege. And I write to you as one who has known the grace of God in extraordinary ways. 
I have never felt entitled, but rather quite the opposite, asking why God would allow me this rarest of experiences. It's been an honor and a pleasure to serve this community of faith for 14 years, and I thank all of you who allowed me into the most vulnerable and tender places of your life. Your courage and your faith was inspiring as you allowed me to consult and pray with you. And please know that I've loved you and will continue as I recall all the good things as well as difficult things we've experienced together. Imago Dei community and its unique culture have always felt like pure gospel oxygen to my soul. And I hope and pray that this will be your experience as well. Thank you for allowing me to be one of those who pastored you. The honor has been all mine. As we have um, walked through this, uh, there, there are so many ups and downs emotionally that you feel. And Luke uh, will continue as to hold the office of elder here as he figures out what's next for him and Donna. As we, as I've thought about today and what we do, the truth is I haven't, um, through this experience, I've, I've struggled in my own faith to just say, God, what is this? What, what are you doing? What are we supposed to think about this? And I know for many of you, um, there's all kinds of emotions from anger to grief to loss. And, and as a leader, I feel this pressure to somehow say, hey, it's okay, right? And that always rings false to me because I know it'll ring false to you because we all have a BS meter that's really high at this church. And it just feels like you put a dress on a pig and you're like, isn't she beautiful? And you're like, for a pig, yeah, it looks pretty good, but... And so the question, I think, for us in this moment is how will we interpret this grief, this loss? And do we interpret it through the eyes of faith or do we interpret it through just our own eyes of human frailty, human limitations, human finite wisdom? And as I think about this passage today in 1 Peter, and you can turn there with me in 1 Peter 1, it really is somewhat, not one for one, obviously, but there is a correlation in that Peter is writing to people who are suffering, people who have experienced loss, people whose leaders aren't um, resigning, they're being arrested or tortured or thrown in prison. And he's wanting them to interpret their circumstance through the eyes of faith. And perhaps in moments like this, they're the hardest times to interpret the world that we're living in through the eyes of faith. When things are good, it's, you know, praise God, God's good. When things are bad and it doesn't feel good, is God still good? And yet just putting a trite little bow on it and a nice little verse, that doesn't ring true either. So what does it look like to honor not just 
um, the moment, but all that God has created among us, all that God wants to create in the future, what is the core of that? What is the center of that for us? And so as Peter writes this, he writes to people who have suffered loss, and here's what he says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As he, as he talks about this first section, he leans into the fatherhood of God. And I don't know what your human father experience was like. I think for many of us, there's a sense that that wasn't all that we had hoped it would be. And so when suffering and difficulty come, there's this sense that we're on our own, that we've been abandoned in some way, that, that it's up to us to figure out how to fix or get out of this circumstance. And as Peter writes to them, he writes to them about Jesus Christ bringing us his relationship with his father. And that into this moment that he writes to them, he says, God is your father. And God is your father by a new birth into a living hope. The truth is that there are so many factors that can wreak havoc on our own lives, circumstances, and stories. That the old birth, the old creation that has been racked with sin since sort of Genesis 3, it is full of decay and, and destruction and, and an impending death. And so there is this sense that if we are fatherless in this world, the best that we have to hope for is that we take our limited means, our limited understanding, and we just keep kicking the, the eventuality of death down the road. And there's plenty of blessing and goodness, but there is this looming sense that hope is so like a vapor, like a mist. And Peter writes to people who are, who are suffering to say, God is your father by the new birth. And the new birth is new creation language. It's language that says that God's end time plan when he makes all things new, that he has brought the future into the present through this new birth. That there is new creation actually here and now in the present situation. The future gets moved into the present as God takes on his fatherhoodness over our lives. And he says, it, in all of that, it is a a father who looks upon us with mercy, with mercy. 
He looks upon our weakness. He looks upon our sin. He looks upon even our rebellion. And he has mercy towards us. And in that mercy, he brings us into this new birth. And he he says there's basically these two realities of this new birth. One is a living hope. And the second is this heavenly inheritance. The living hope part is contrasting a temporary hope. And those temporary hopes are all around us. Like we hope we make budget. We hope things are comfortable. We hope tomorrow's a great day. We hope the sun will come out, right? Those are temporary hopes and they're fleeting hopes. And living hope is the idea that he has made hope alive. And how did he make hope alive. Well, it says that he made this living hope that he's brought us into through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reason that the Father can give you a hope that is alive, that is not fleeting, that won't disappoint you, is because of the fact of the resurrection. And remember, Peter is writing this. Peter who ran to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Peter who got there second because John was just a skinny little thing and he's quicker, right? But Peter goes all the way in. He sees uh, the cloth there. He sees that it's empty and that radicalizes his faith. It changes him from the denier and the person who hid to the bold apostle who preaches at Pentecost. A, A hope had gotten a hold of his heart and his soul and his life that allowed him to not just endure difficult moments, but to put him in places where there would be opposition to his message. And yet in that opposition and in that suffering, he talks, he says, hope is alive. And hope is alive not because tomorrow the sun will come out. Hope is alive because in the past it has been secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has been anchored to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that all of the decay and the disappointment and, and the fading of this world was overcome when Jesus conquered the greatest enemy of all of creation, which is death. And through that resurrection, he gives us his resurrection life, and his father becomes our father. And there is a new birth that makes hope alive because the future has come into the present and it's been anchored in the past by the resurrection of Jesus. The whole story is ours. And Peter wants them to interpret their own situation through the lens of this life-giving Father who is their Father, and He's our Father. And the second reality of this new birth is that 
It, it brings us into an inheritance that it secures our future. The reason hope is alive is because the future is also secure, and this inheritance can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. If you could wrap your mind around the idea that your father, your mother, your family had for you a, a, a billion dollar inheritance, okay? And you don't get it until they kick the bucket, all right? That's kind of crass, but it's true. Um, and yet right now you work a minimum wage job somewhere and the bills are, you know, hard to pay and, it, it, you know, your car breaks down, it's an old beater. And, and yet there would be something inside of you that not hopes maybe for them to die, but at least says, you know, I'm going to be okay. Like eventually this thing's going to run out and and I'm gonna get that inheritance, and I'm golden when that happens. There would be something of hope in you, even in the midst of the challenges and the, and the struggle of the financial moment that you were in. I don't know if you've watched this um, mini-series on Bernie Madoff, sweetheart of a guy. Um, who for 30 years created the greatest Ponzi scheme in the world where people were giving him literally billions of dollars of their money. And he fooled just, just all of them. He had a multi-billion dollar account and essentially the way it worked is he would take their money, he would be able to show them false returns, but the false returns were based on the fact that he kept taking other people's money, right? And so as long as money's coming in, they can put little bits of money out and everybody thinks, man, I am just making, it's just raining cash for me. And then the bottom falls out and they got nothing. And at the end of it, they show sort of these people who are getting these phone calls and realizing that the $2.8 billion that you gave to Bernie is gone. And the $1.2 billion that you invested is gone. Can you imagine that feeling? I mean, they had really nice houses. They were getting the phone call in a really posh setting. But they were just staring. I mean, just like, What? Because their billion dollars, that it perished, it spoiled, it faded. That is worldly inheritance. So even if you and I had that worldly inheritance coming, in this world there's always going to be a Bernie Madoff ready to rip you off. And he says the inheritance that God has for you is bigger, it's better, it's more secure. It can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. It is secure because God, your Father, protects it and he keeps it. 
Because your inheritance is that you belong to him. When we think of salvation, we think, well, God, God forgave me. God rescued me. And God did this for me. But, but do you ever think that he did all those things so that you would belong to him? Because that's the truth. He did all of that so that you could be his daughter and you could be his son and that he could be your father. And all that he has, he has shared with us and he protects it and he keeps it and there's nothing in this world, there's no suffering in this world, there's no shortage in this world that can steal that from us. It is secure because God himself as your father keeps it secure away from the decay and the rot and the crookedness of the world. And he said this inheritance that's kept for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. And this, this is that moment, that moment where God the Father protects us, that he shields us. The, the picture that Peter is creating for these, remember, they're aliens and they're strangers and they're, they're running and they're persecuted. But, but the image is that they are under um, protective custody. You know in the mob movies when the guy finally turns and they put him under protective custody and they ship him off to Kansas somewhere and he has to get a different haircut and lose the cheesy suits and uh, pretend to fit in? The idea is that there's a whole bunch of people that want to whack him, but they've moved him somewhere and they've protected him. Well, that's not exactly how this is, but it's kind of like that. <laughs> really, will not use that next service. Okay. <laughs> Note to self. You're all looking at me like, we're going to get whacked? We're going to get whacked? Really? The idea is that you're shielded, that the Father protects you, and that in this world we'll have trouble, in this world we'll have loss, in this world we'll find ourselves in moments that don't fully make sense, but at the same time, we're shielded, we're protected, we're secure. There are there are in these times these two ways to interpret this moment, to interpret any moment that you're in, whether it's as a church that, that we're in this moment or just things that you're going through right now. How will you interpret them? The first way to interpret them is not by faith, right? Right? that we're on our own, that we are fatherless, that we're abandoned to the situation, to the, the sway of the way the world goes. 
And when we move into that place, I don't know about you, but I, frankly, the last few days have been really dark for me because I think I've operated in that space a little bit. And when I operate in that space, the responsibility is crushing. I can't make that okay for you. I can't. I I, I think we make pretty good leaders. We make horrible saviors. And so if you count on us and the elders and Luke to be your savior, if you count on us to be the, the, this is our church, then we, we get crushed under that because we are just finite people. And, and, it, and, and, and when that pressure's on or those moments are on, it feels just like, yeah, we're going to fail you because it's God's church or it's just a big goofy club that we put together. It's God's purposes for the church even when we don't understand them or it's just us swinging for the fence and we don't really know. And at the end of the day, there is this darkness that comes in that moment because if you don't live into these painful spots by faith, then you really have nothing. And I understand that you want someone to blame or you want, you know, you, you just, you need that. But I can tell you this, that there's probably no one in this room that's closer to Luke than me. And if you want to honor Luke, you would live by faith. That's what he called us to as our pastor, right? We would live by faith. Which is the second option and the option that is the churches that in this space together we interpret our moment through the lens of faith. That we are not alone. That the Father who is good has brought us into his story, has made hope alive for us even when we're shedding tears. And we have shed lots of tears over this. That in this moment, our security isn't based on a budget, but an empty tomb, on a present hope, on an eternal inheritance. Imago Day, we are entering into a new chapter and a chapter where we will continue to love Jesus and preach Jesus and display Jesus to the world. But it's a chapter where we enter into it kind of with a limp. And yet in the midst of that, our Father is with us. Our Father secures us. Our Father protects us. Our Father gives us His life. Our Father makes hope alive for us and for Luke and for Donna. 
our Father keeps us and shields us and protects us for all that he has for us. And so our Father today invites us to trust us, to trust him. And as you come to this table of bread and wine, this is a table that the Apostle Paul would, would, would image to us and say, if God has not withheld his only son from you, how will he not with him give us all things? So today, the invitation is that even though we sit in a place that's hard today, that God sits in this place with us. And we know, we know that we will be okay. We know that Luke and Donna and Sebastian and Kathy, that, that we'll be okay because if he's willing to give his son for us, he clearly has something to get us through this, right? Let me pray. Father God, this morning we come to you. God is a family. We come um, hurting. We come desperate. And yet, God, we come by faith. And in that faith, God, we declare these things, that you are our Father, and that we are your children, and that you have secured our hope in the past through the resurrection You've brought it into the present by your Holy Spirit, and you will bring it and secure it for us in the coming of your salvation. And in this moment, Father, I pray that we could persevere with our eyes to you, trusting that in this season and place where we don't fully comprehend your purposes, that they are good and they are loving and they are right, and that you shield and protect us beyond anything the world or humanity can do to us. And so we come to this table where your body was broken, Jesus, and your blood was shed, and we receive your mercy. We receive your living hope. In Christ's name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.